Well, as Sherry mentioned at the start of the service, we're on to week four of our Lent journey, our one-word prayer journey. Just a reminder, what we're trying to learn and do together is in our prayer time, maybe talk a little bit less and listen a little bit more to hear and tune our ears to God's voice and what he wants to say. So hopefully you're taking, we challenge each other, remember, to 10 minutes a day in a quiet place to just speak this one word and to hear what God might be saying back. Hopefully you've had the chance to to try that. And hopefully you're learning in the process as we keep going forward in this. And and this morning I cheated a little bit on our fourth word uh, because it's not really a word. Um, It's more of an expression. It's more of of a physical release because when, when we are weary, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we feel like giving up, when there's not a better word to describe what happens when you let out that deep, weary sigh. My guess is you've done that before. You felt that kind of weariness before. I have over the last couple of weeks. I'll admit it for a variety of reasons, all that kind of piled up at the same time. These last couple of weeks here have, have been challenging and wearisome for me. There were more than a few times over the last couple of weeks where I got home in the afternoon. I got home late in the evening after meetings and, and I kicked off my shoes, threw down my bag, just went to the kitchen counter, leaned over it and let out a deep sigh. Enough that my wife would come and say, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I, it's during these times, during weeks like these, that, that I pull out on my desk and I make sure it's displayed this, this little red gas pump that I keep in a drawer. So it's been on my desk for the last couple weeks. This, let me tell you the story behind this gas pump. It must have been, what, I've been here 15 years now. Soon after I got here in one of my sermons, I mentioned my dream job. I think all of us probably have a dream job. Right? When, when work is tough, when you're weary, when you're discouraged, and you just want to go do something else other than what you're doing here at work, well, my dream job was pumping gas. Right? Wouldn't it be one, I thought it'd be wonderful to go to a full-service gas station right? and, and greet the people as they come up, be friendly to them, wash their window, pump their gas, and wave on their way. What a great job. If I had the chance, I would have quit and gone and done that. Right? Well, after I... After I preached that sermon later on that week, on my desk I came in and here's this little red gas pump sitting on my desk. And one of you wrote a note that said, please don't go pump gas. <laughs> Stick around. Like, so for about 15 years, you who dropped this off have been encouraging me. I realize now there's very few full service gas stations around, so this dream job is kind of dead. I must have mentioned before that my second dream job would to be a garbage man, to hang off the back of a garbage truck. And in God's perfect timing, this past week, in the midst of my wearisome week, one of you called me, and you called just to say, hey, good job, and you said, don't go become a garbage man. Just what I needed in the middle of a tough week. Now I realize people don't hang out the back of garbage trucks anymore either. So I'm going to have to find some other dream job to dream of in the middle of those tough weeks. My guess is you have experienced times like that. Where you just feel like giving up and giving in. Like it's all just too much to handle. And my guess is you felt that way with God too. 
and you've come to God weary and discouraged and really all, you're sometimes at a loss for words. If you go to God at all in those times, you go and you just let out this sigh that says, I'm tired, God. I've had enough. Enough. I'm ready to quit. I'm at the end of my rope. Enough. And sometimes that deep, weary sigh reveals our weariness and our journey of faith, doesn't it? And it's the most honest thing we can communicate to God. I know some of you are at that point in your lives right now because you've told me. You've told me your journey. You've told me how difficult it is, how tired you are. And my guess is I don't know the half of it. That many of you are on that journey and you haven't told me. And you're weary. Well, you're not alone. In the Old Testament, one of God's greatest prophets of all times, Elijah, he reaches that point in his spiritual journey as well. He was just sick of it all. He was tired, he was weary, and he said to God, I quit. I quit, I'm done. In fact, take out your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, page 285 in the Bibles you have in front of you. 1 Kings 19. You wanna keep your Bibles open, we're gonna work our way through this chapter uh, this morning at different times. And because in this chapter, it's really a revealing chapter, one that's amazing that it's in this book at all. It's so honest because Elijah's, Elijah just reveals his painful emptiness with God and we get to learn from him through his journey. His spiritual sigh in this chapter reveals a bone-tired weariness of serving God, a bone-tired weariness of even following God. And we can see in Elijah's story here both the roots of his spiritual emptiness and weariness that my guess is are the same roots, same places where the roots of our weariness grow. And we can also see how God reaches down into his weariness and brings him some refreshment and some hope. So Elijah, let me just give you a little background. Elijah is a hero among the prophets. Right? Elijah is one who served God in the middle of one of the most godless times in Israel's history. He was prophet when Ahab was king and Jezebel was queen. And Ahab and Jezebel, if you read their story at all, you know that they rightly earned their place in the upper echelons of the most evil and godless kings and queens that Israel has ever had. Okay, so, so Elijah spends his whole life prophesying in the middle of an anti-God atmosphere. And in that atmosphere, in the midst of a country that, that is walking away from God, Elijah dared to be a loud voice shouting repentance, shouting faithfulness, shouting the people towards God and they refused to listen. Hey, read, read Elijah's story and you'll see that, that God does great things through him, despite the opposition. Right in chapter 17, we're not going to read that right now, but in chapter 17, he marches right into, into the, the throne room with Ahab and Jezebel. And he says, because of your unfaithfulness and your evil, 
God is going to stop the rain here in Israel. And for three years from that day forward, it didn't rain a drop in all of Israel. Right? And that didn't put him in the good graces of the king and the queen, of course. So he flees the country and he goes to live with a widow in the city called Zarephath right over the border where he could be safe. And while he's staying there for those three years, this widow's only son dies. And you know what Elijah does? Elijah goes to him and raises him from the dead. That's what kind of prophet Elijah is. He can, God raises people from the dead through him. And then, and then chapter 18. Chapter 18 here, is, this is a chapter where, where Elijah confronts the 850 prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. Remember that showdown that he has where, where they both build an altar to their God. They both put their sacrifice on the altar. And then they pray to their God to, to rain down fire to prove who truly is God. And the prophets of Baal, 850 of them, spend all morning and all afternoon shouting and dancing and calling on Baal and no fire comes. And in the evening, Elijah, all by himself, prays to God. And fire rains down from heaven and consumes his water-drenched sacrifice. What a victory. All 850 prophets of Baal are put to death there on Mount Carmel. Huge victory. And, And we usually don't read the end of that chapter, which right after that victory, Elijah says, Hey God, how about you let it rain? How about you let it rain again? And the storm clouds gather and the rain comes back. But if you haven't read that chapter in a while today for your devotions after lunch as a family, read chapter 18. It's a spectacular story. A spectacular a spectacular moment of God working through Elijah. Elijah is is on the spiritual mountaintop, right? A mountaintop of ministry. You don't get much better than fire raining down from the sky. And then he plunges off a cliff. He tumbles off that mountaintop. That's what chapter 19 is all about. First of all, at the beginning of chapter 19, we get to hear Queen Jezebel's response to Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel. Listen to verses one and two. So now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. A chilling message from from Jezebel who was to be feared wasn't she she had power and she used it viciously for the cause of evil but think about this for a moment Jezebel's brutal threat here should not have scared Elijah right remember where Elijah stood just the day before he had He had stood on the mountaintop and fire had rained down from heaven. Remember that this is Elijah who had boldly stood in the courtyard before Abraham and Jezebel and stopped the rain. This is Elijah. God had given him the power to raise a boy from the dead. Elijah should have have brushed that, that threat off like it was nothing. 
He should have said, I don't care what you say, Jezebel. I've got God on my side. That should have been what he said. And that's not at all what happens. Look at his response, verses three through five. It says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, which is right on the edge of the desert, by the way, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Amazing, isn't it? Elijah, who just came off of one of the greatest spiritual victories in history, he crumbles in front of Jezebel's threat. His strength is gone. He's just ready to give up, ready to quit. You know, it's interesting in these verses we can see, if we look at them closely, where, where Elijah's weariness comes from. And probably where our weariness in life often comes from. Right, first of all, we see that Elijah, Elijah's ready to give up and quit because of fear. Right? That's what verse 3 tells us right away. Right away, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, the disparity between Elijah in chapter 18 and Elijah in chapter 19 couldn't be any greater, could it be? In chapter 18, there we see him standing confidently on the top of Mount Carmel before King Ahab, boldly proclaiming to a, to a godless nation the truth of God himself, calling down fire from heaven, defeating 800, 850 prophets of Baal. And now in chapter 19, a day later, we see him nervously running for his life. How is it that he can stand one day before a host of enemies in confidence and the very next day flee because of a threat made from somebody far away from him? Well, the difference is he lost sight of God. He lost sight of God's power, and that made him afraid. And that's what so often causes our fear. When we're spiritually weary, we forget what God has done. And we forget what God can do. We just plain forget about God. And we begin to believe, as Elijah did in this moment, that it all depends on us. Right? It depends on my strength. Me getting through depends on my energy. Me making it depends on my wisdom and my ability. It's all about me. I need to pull this off. And when we begin to believe that it depends on us, when we forget that, that it's God working through us, then yes, we better be afraid because we can't do anything on our own. We are not strong enough. We are not smart enough. We are not good enough. We can't do anything on our own apart from God. So when we find ourselves afraid, when you look at ministry opportunities that God calls you to and you are afraid, when you see the situation that you find yourself in life and you are afraid, 
when you look into the coming days and weeks and months and years and you are afraid. That fear is a warning sign that we have forgotten God. We've forgotten God's power. We've forgotten what he's done in the past. We have forgotten what he's promised to do in the future. We have forgotten his power that is here today, ready to to move with us and through us and for us right here in the present. When we forget God, we become afraid. And then... Elijah, because of this overwhelming fear that that overtakes his heart, he then defaults to an attitude of despair. In in verse 4, in verse 4, we get to hear Elijah cry out of mental weariness. He says to God, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than anybody else. And he begs God, just just to let him die. He just wants to be done because it all seems so hollow, empty, useless to him. His mind despairs and convinces him that all that he's done has been worthless. All that he's done has been ineffective. What a rotten prophet you are, Elijah. Nobody's listening to you. What a What a meaningless life you've lived, Elijah. No purpose, no success, and you're all alone. Our weary minds, when they grow weary, our weary hearts will try and convince us of some of these same lies. When we're weary, we begin to believe the lie that all of our efforts are worthless. The worst parents ever. There's nobody worse than you, right? None of our friends really likes us. They're just putting up with me. I'm not making any difference in the classroom. I'm not making any difference in the office. I'm not really making any difference in the ministry I'm volunteering in. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to put a picture up here. Nobody would care. All the facts may point otherwise, but our minds tell us lies. And then we believe that we're all alone, just like Elijah. Nobody appreciates the sacrifice we've made. Nobody shares the passion that I have. Nobody would miss me if I disappeared, right? It's not true, but we dismiss the truth and we begin to believe the lies. And and all of this inner turmoil in Elijah, all these lies messing with his mind and his heart, along with the nonstop work that he's been doing, and then along with this this grueling journey that he just took, a two-day journey out into the desert, that all leaves him exhausted. Right in verse 5. Verse 5, it gives us the evidence. It says that Elijah simply lay down under a tree and he fell asleep. Fell right asleep. He's exhausted. He's just plain tired. And so often, our physical weariness mirrors and partners with a spiritual weariness. 
when we're physically empty, we're in danger of being spiritually empty at the same time. Elijah here has been running too long. He's been working too hard. And he's physically worn out and depleted. Just like some of you here. Some of us here are worn out. And our physical exhaustion is a sign of our spiritual emptiness. We haven't taken care of ourselves, right? We haven't made time to slow down and spend some time with God. We're too busy to listen to him. We've got too much going on. Too much depends on me to stop and spend time with God. We've ignored our own spiritual health. We spend so much time doing that we pay no attention to our being and our bodies can't live like that. And they send the signal that it's time to stop long enough to be refilled. Stop and be recharged. That's what Elijah heard. Elijah here is spiritually empty. Fear, despair, exhaustion have shut him down. And he comes to God with nothing left except this deep, weary sigh. Enough. Enough. And you know, if his spiritual exhaustion does nothing else for him, at least it stops him long enough to be still and to be quiet and to listen to God. He's been so busy doing, so busy serving, so busy working, so busy leading, so busy running into the desert. But here he is now still, quiet. And with everything else around him still and quiet, God comes and speaks to him and he's able to hear. God meets him right where he is at in the middle of his weariness and exhaustion. And in the rest of this chapter, we get, to, we get to listen in on the conversation between God and Elijah. Because God, God comes to him. He brings refreshment to Elijah when he is spiritually empty. And he does it in, in some wonderfully practical ways. And maybe... Just maybe like Elijah, our deep sigh silence will enable you and me to hear refreshment spoken into our weary lives as well. Let's see how he does it with Elijah. He starts by, by refreshing Elijah physically with food and with rest. He does that in verses 5 through 7. Elijah says, you know, he ran into the desert. He fell asleep under this, this little bush, this little tree. In verses 5 through 9, pick it up in the middle of 5. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to a, into a cave and he spent the night. Isn't it interesting where God starts? God, God meets his weary, depleted, falling apart servant and he starts by taking care of his body. 
He gives him time to rest and recover. And he gives him the nourishment he needs. I, I remember listening to, to Mary Hulst preach once, a chaplain at, at Calvin College. And she was on this passage and she aptly noted that, that what God does for Elijah to start is, is he gives Elijah a snack and a nap. How many of us couldn't use those? A snack and a nap. You know the lessons you learn from kindergarten? Well, here's the kindergarten lesson that all of us could take. When you're weary, maybe you need a snack and a nap to start. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes our bodies and our souls together are weary, and God speaks his love for us, speaks his refreshing to us in physical ways. If we were to listen to God in the middle of our weariness, truly tune our ears to his voice, we might hear him asking us, are you taking care of yourself? Are you eating right? Are you sleeping enough? Are you exercising? Because he knows that if we don't, we not only pay the price physically, but we pay the price spiritually. And some of us need, some of us here, our weariness is telling us we need a physical break. Let's take a break. Now, on the other side of the coin, you also need, need to notice that God doesn't simply let Elijah stay sleeping under that tree, forever eating the food that God provides. He didn't provide it forever. He didn't say, Elijah, build a nice little hut here and let's just retire out here in the desert. No. God gives Elijah food and drink because he's got a journey planned for him. He's got a ministry in store for him. Yet He still has purpose for him. Sometimes we're tempted just to sit under the tree for the rest of our lives, aren't we? Some of us have been sitting under that tree being fed by God for too long. We've rested long enough because God's nourishing you to go, to serve, to be a part of his kingdom purposes. It's comfortable under the tree, yes, but like he does for Elijah here, God gives us physical refreshing for spiritual kingdom purposes. He said, God meets Elijah, cares for him physically. Secondly, as Elijah stopped and listened, he heard God refresh him by speaking truth into the lies that he had allowed himself to believe. Right, so in verses 9 through 13, God speaks to Elijah in a gentle whisper, and Elijah dares to tell God his great frustration. He comes to God in verse 14, and he speaks honestly, right? God invites him just before that. He says to, to Elijah, what are you doing here in that cave? Verse 14, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, so Elijah lets God have it. He tells God his despair. He says, look at where I am. You'd be frustrated too. You'd be ready to give up too. And in response to, to Elijah's despair, God gives him the truth to offset the lies that he's become to believe. Read on in verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. 
and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. All right, remember, remember what Elijah's believing. Elijah is huddled up in that cave, believing that he is all alone, that no one else cared, that no one listened to a word he said all of his life, that he could disappear today and no one would miss him. He believed in that cave that his work was over, his purpose was done, that he was a failure, and those were all lies. Right? So, so in these verses, God reveals to him the next generation of leaders. He said, I'm going to send you to anoint a whole new generation of leaders who will follow in your footsteps because your work is not done. Here's the three men. Go anoint them because they're going to work with you. And he reveals to him, he says, you know what? You think you're all alone? You think your words have been blowing in the wind that nobody's paying attention? Let me tell you, there are 7,000 people just like you. 7,000 people who have been listening to you, who have been following you, who have heard my voice through you, Elijah. So if you think you're all alone, you're wrong. I got 7,000 ready to go. He, he speaks truth into Elijah's lies. And that's what we need to hear. You and I in our weariness need the emotional healing that comes from hearing truth in the face of the lies that we've come to believe. We need God to remind us again that we are not alone. Right, that God is using us daily in profound and simple ways to bring his kingdom onto this earth to change people's lives, to shape people's eternities. God is using you. He's using me. We need to be reminded of the truth, which is why, one of the reasons why, we come together in community called the church. Because we need each other. We need to remind each other of the truth. We need to celebrate each other as we see God working through us. We need to be God's encouraging voice to each other in community. So here's one of my challenges to you. If your life has been touched in some way, if you have been encouraged in some even small way by somebody, let them know. Say thank you. Because maybe God's refreshing voice to them is going to come through you, through the email you send, through the note that you write. They may be feeling just like Elijah. Those people who encouraged you, who supported you, who walked with you might be sitting in their living room saying, I give up, God. Nobody cares what I've done. Nobody's paying any attention. I could disappear today and no one would know. And wouldn't it be a shame if they did not hear the truth spoken by God to them through you? Can you send that note? Can you encourage that person? Maybe yours will be the voice of God speaking truth to them. And finally, God speaks his love and his care 
to Elijah by giving him a partner in ministry. It's another kindergarten lesson. God gives him a friend, a friend to spend time with and to be with. And look at the rest of the chapter. Read through the end with me, starting at verse 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And he never left Elijah's side from that day. Elijah never walked alone again. God gives Elijah a friend and a partner in Elisha as a reminder that it doesn't all depend on him. Right? The way of ministry doesn't land only on Elijah's shoulders. Elisha is by his side now to share the journey, to point Elijah back to God again, to remind him of the truth of what God has done and what God is doing, to tell him again that together they don't have to be afraid because God is in control and God's power is on their side. And so often God speaks his love to you and to me by giving us each other in this community called Ivan Rest Church, by giving us partners in this journey of life, by giving us partners and teammates in the ministry to which he calls us. God cares for you and me profoundly through each other, through the relationships that he provides within the family of God. Elijah got in trouble because he tried to do it all by himself. There should be no Lone Ranger Christians like Elijah was. Because I'll warn you, trying to, trying to journey through life, trying to journey through ministry, if you try and do it all by yourself, you will get weary. You will get discouraged you will get burned out. You will find yourself crawled up under your tree somewhere crying out to God saying, I can't do it anymore. Enough. Because you can't do it by yourself. It's in partnership with God and in partnership with each other that we are refreshed for ministry, that we are refreshed for life, whatever life might send our way. So some of us here this morning if you are willing to listen to God in your weariness, he's going to tell you you need to find a friend. You need to find a partner to journey with, somebody to share life with, because you can't do it alone. And for some of you, if you listen to God, you're going to hear him say, there's someone out there who needs you to be that friend. There's someone there who needs you to come alongside of them and to journey through ministry together, to journey through life together, will you be there for them? Too often we aren't, are we? 
Too often in our individualistic culture, we keep our distance. We let others lead. We let others serve. We let others journey alone. Because we don't want to commit. We don't want to intrude. We, we just don't want to. And it's because we don't step up that others burn out. So God may be calling you to bring refreshment into someone else's life by offering to walk with them, have coffee with them, talk with them, maybe do ministry alongside of them. I can pretty much guarantee that every single one of us at some time will feel empty, will feel weary, will feel discouraged. We will feel spent physically, emotionally, spiritually. And we'll come before God and just say, enough. I can't do this anymore. I have had enough. And we just want to be done. We just want to quit. Those times will come. Some of you are there right now. And it's in those times when we've run out of words to say that we can often hear God most clearly if we choose to listen. So don't hesitate to bring your honest, weary sigh before God. Do it in your quiet time this week. And then dare to listen. Listen for God speaking his care for you, directing you towards refreshment and strength. Listen for his remedy to your weariness. And I think you'll hear him giving you strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Father God, you know the people here in this room who are sitting here this morning weary. They are weary of life. They are weary of you. They're just tired. Father, I ask that for those of us who are weary and feel like giving up, feel like quitting, feel like the future is too hard, for those of us who are afraid, that you would speak to us and we would listen to you. That we would hear you caring for us. That you'd, we would hear you loving us. We would hear you picking us up, setting us on our feet, and moving us forward hand in hand with you. Father, some of us here are feeling strong, encouraged. May we hear you as you call us to come alongside of someone to be that hand, to be that voice that gives your encouragement, that gives your strength to face another day. 
Thank you, Father, for speaking truth into our lives. The truth of your love. The truth of your salvation. The truth of your grace. The truth of Jesus Christ who died and rose again so that we might stand firmly, confidently, and boldly in your power and in your strength that gives us what we need for each moment of each day. In Jesus' name we pray.